Or turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 11 this morning. Romans chapter 11, as you're turning there, we are learning who God is and what He's like so we can be like Him. It's the psalmist who said, you and I become like the object we worship. Like the object we worship. And what we learned a couple weeks ago is God is not like us. He's wholly other. He is... He is becoming, He is all things. He is being. And we are here because He determined that and said we should be here. And He's sufficient in and of Himself. And that is foundational to who He is. And it's foundational for our understanding that He is God and we're not. But what we're going to discover today is another essential element or element of who God is and what He is like, uh, His essence. And that is that He's infinite. And in order to understand this idea that God is infinite and what God reveals about himself, you and I have to answer this serious question this morning because it's challenging to get our minds around his being infinite. And the question we have to answer this morning is, how big is your God? How big is he? I'm not asking for you and I to uh, take out a tape measure or a calculator and to compute or uh, get the dimensions of who he is as though we measure him in some way. I ask how big is your God because the truth is we act like God is small. If we're honest this morning, we live like God is small. Uh, we, in our serving, sometimes we limit him. We don't think that he can enable us, empower us to do anything of worth. In our giving, sometimes we act like he doesn't own it all, he, all of it isn't his, and we don't give because we realize you can't outgive him. In our sharing with others, the mercy, the grace, and, and just as Jimmy and, and Sherwin just sang, to be more like him because the people around us need to experience him, and you and I are supposed to be the body of Christ. We, we act like God is small. In fact, we see it. Not only in our lives, in the lives of those around us. We act like he's inconsequential, unimportant. He's largely unnoticeable in so many people's lives today. And that's an indictment on the church this morning. That that God would be so small, not just in their mind. The world doesn't have any thought of him. They don't take thought of him. They consider him irrelevant and insignificant. But for you and I who claim to be his children, you and I who claim to be his people, you and I to claim to be the ones who have experienced his great and awesome love, we, we treat him like he's small. We act like he's small. Our faith sometimes suggests that we think he's small. Satan would love nothing more than you and I think that he's small. Do you know what his temptation was? It was just the opposite. Satan's temptation was you and I could become like God. And yet, because we can't become what he is, because he's wholly other, his aseity says he's totally distinct from all the created things, because of that, the next best option and the tactic Satan uses for us to think that God is small, insignificant, to consider him at times irrelevant to what? is happening in my life, what is going on around me. But if we're honest this morning and we really hear the word of God, the Bible makes it quite clear. God is not small. He's big, really big. The way the Bible teaches it, he's infinite. What does that mean? Infinite means that God has no boundaries. He's unlimited, unbounded. He's unconfined, he's unsearchable, he's immeasurable, he's beyond ultimate comprehension. 
In fact, these two ideas, God's being infinite and God being incomprehensible, we'll talk about that one next week, they go together. In fact, if you read A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy, and everyone should read that. It's a great devotional to read alongside reading the Word of God. But Tozer, when he talks about and, and, and leads us in a, just the thought process of entertaining thoughts about God, he says, you know, it may be presumptuous for finite men even to attempt to ponder the infinite. I mean, how does my little pea brain get an understanding of the infinite God? How can finite beings comprehend that he is infinite? I mean, this attribute, because of our finite nature, it's seemingly the most difficult to comprehend, but it shouldn't be the most difficult for us to believe. Yes, it's difficult to understand, but I can believe that my God is without limit. The reason it's difficult for us is this. You and I are limited. We are finite beings. We are, and our stuff is, always limited. It's limited in size to the space that it takes up. We live within boundaries of the flesh. We're limited in duration, and the stuff we have is limited in duration. It only lasts for a period of time, especially when it's made in China. We're limited in our effectiveness because the things that we want to do, we can't always do. We can't do everything. We're limited in the effect that we can have on things in life. You see, everything that we see, all of our possessions, everything, you and me, we're all limited. Well, maybe except the federal budget, right? You see, God's infinitude is difficult to comprehend because it would appear self-contradictory. That you and I could know what is beyond knowledge. That you and I could understand what is beyond our limits. That doesn't stop us though. Mankind is always pressing the boundaries. Mankind is always trying to cross the borders. You stop and think about space. The, the Milky Way. Our galaxy. Seemingly limitless this universe. And yet mankind and NASA, they try to go to the ends of space. First to the moon. Now we're going to go to Mars, right? Satellites going out and, and probes searching. And yet they don't even scratch the surface of the outer expanse of all of space. You and I can't fathom that. I mean, we can look through a telescope. But what, what we see at the end of that scope, it goes on beyond that so far. And yet the sad thing is... As finite beings, not only do we have boundaries and try to push them, we don't want to accept the boundaries God gives us. Uh, we want to go faster, further, deeper, beyond those boundaries. We don't like the boundaries even God has given us in the flesh sometimes. We think we can change who our boundaries say we are. It's our problem in our culture today. And yet, let's be honest. Everyone tries to push the limits. And yet God said no you're finite beings and you need boundaries. You know, as someone has said, you know, uh, our children need boundaries. Our children, and so do God's children. But more than needing boundaries, we need to recognize we have boundaries. We have limits. In my pride, sometimes I don't want to acknowledge that. That's why I need to hear this today. Because there's only one that can handle no boundaries. There's only one who can handle infinity. Not you and not me. I know we like to think that these little digital gadgets that we have, you know, there's endless information for us, right? We can't even handle that. It's actually dangerous to think that we can. 
let alone a 13-year-old. You see, finiteness means that I am limited. I am restricted. I have an end. I don't go on forever. In space and time, we have limitations. That is a hard thing to accept, but it is a critical thing to acknowledge. But of our God, He's not limited. He's not bounded. He, he, He is not forced into some, confined to some limits. And I need to realize that this morning because all of us might be entertaining a thought about God that's not worthy of Him. You see, how big is your God? How big is the God you and I demonstrate? Not here in worship as we just sang and celebrated Him. How big is He on Monday morning when we, when, when we get to going in the work day or the school day? You see, if I entertain a thought that is not true of God and who He is and what He's like, then that's called idolatry. It's a false representation of Him. If I entertain a thought that is too low of God, it doesn't truly recognize who He is, that's a disgrace to Him. If I entertain a thought of God, though, that is high and, and reflective, it, it, it is His own revelation, and I repeat it back to Him, and I worship Him in this way, then I am led to a heart of worship. I am led to celebrate a God who is so much higher, so much greater, so much larger than you and me. Anything we can even fathom. And that's the infinity of God. And here in Romans chapter 11, that's what Paul gets to. And he gets to it after he's just contemplating how God saved us. And how awesome it is to stop and consider. In fact, he has a little doxology here in chapter 11. That we're going to stand, we're going to read in verses 33 through 36 this morning. And we're going to consider just for a moment, verse 33, the infinity of God in As it relates to our salvation, we could consider this in so many different ways. But I just want you to stand and hear the word of the Lord. Perhaps you just pass over this and don't think much about it. But really, there's two exclamation points in here. There's a great big O-H-O when you stop and hear God speak through Paul as he writes to the Romans. Paul writes, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments And his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Who has first given to him? And it shall be repaid to him. For of him, through him, and to him are all things. To whom be the glory forever. Amen. Father in heaven, enlarge our understanding this morning of who you are and what you are like. God, increase our faith to believe that you aren't just big, you're infinite. And God, because of that, you're not bound in any way, limited in any way. All things are possible with you. God, I pray you would grow our faith, Lord, if we have entertained thoughts not worthy of your greatness, your infinity. And God, I pray that if there's one today who's yet to surrender and yield to you, Lord, may they realize today that you're God and they're not. But God, you have bridged the chasm between through the cross of your son. And may they surrender and yield to you as Lord. We ask all this today in Jesus' name and for his precious sake. And all God's people said amen. And amen. You may be seated this morning. There are many ways that we could stop and consider God's infinity. Many attributes, when we consider them over the next couple months, we will consider how God's infinity relates to different aspects of things. 
There's an infinity of time with God. That is, He is eternal. There's an infinity of power with God in that He is omnipotent. There's an infinity of knowledge with God in that He is omniscient. There's an infinity of space that God's presence is in, and that means He is omnipresent. Now, God is not all things. That's pantheism. We don't teach that. We don't believe that. That's not the testimony of God. Remember, God is distinct from aseity. He is wholly other. All things exist because he brought them into being. God is not that being. He is the source of that being. God's amazing work of redemption, though, is what Paul is focusing on in the book of Revelation. And he says, we have a God that has so redeemed us, an infinite God, that he is worthy of worship when you stop and consider that redemption that we have experienced. Romans is a great theological treatise. Paul lays out so many doctrines for us. And in the first 12 chapters, he walks through redemption, not only for the individual, but also as it relates to two different groups of people, the nation Israel and the Gentiles or the church that has experienced that redemption. In chapters 1 through 8, he highlights how God could save a wretched soul like me, like you, like anyone who calls on his name. That the whole world stands in need of his redemption. Both Jew and Gentile. All are sinners. All have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us desperately need redemption. And God justifies both Jew and Gentile by faith. And Paul explains that in chapter 4. Over in chapter 6 and 7, he highlights the sanctification that we experience. And and the daily surrender that's called for for both Jew and Gentile. And then he talks about the ultimate hope that we all have, the glorification, chapter 8. And the hope and assurances that we have that as we groan in these bodies, one day we will be redeemed. In chapters 9, 10, and 11, though, he shifts and he talks about two groups of people, Israel and the church. How God has has a plan for Israel and God has a plan for the church. The church doesn't replace Israel. We're not the new Israel. God still has a plan for that nation, for his people and all who will call on him from the Jews. But we celebrate God's plan of redemption that we have experienced. And that God has brought the Messiah through that nation Israel in order to be a blessing to all the peoples who would call on him. And to realize that God wants even them to call on him. And so Paul outlines all this in these chapters, the doctrine of salvation and God's plan in showing favor. And the amazing thing is, as he goes through this chapter, he gets here to to, to chapter 11. And at the conclusion, it's as though Paul is saying, listen, when you stop and consider what God has done for us, oh, oh, the depth of the riches and of his wisdom and of his knowledge in bringing redemption to you And to me. And the point he's making is this I've gone as far as I can go. I I can't say any more. I can't explain it any further. I've communicated everything I can, uh, communicated everything I can about sin. I've communicated everything I can about judgment. I've computed everything about justification and sanctification. I've communicated everything I can about predestination and and glorification and, and God saving both Jew and Gentile. And yet, here's the amazing thing when I get to the end of it, God is deeper still. How so? I mean, he's infinitely deeper. You and I cannot fathom. We can't go down into the depths of God and understand fully his wisdom and his knowledge. We can't understand fully the riches of what we have experienced because God is deeper still. 
And yet, even though he is so much deeper than you and I can even understand and fully comprehend, what we do discover is this, there is something worth knowing. You see, the infinite, incomprehensible character of God's excellence as he brings redemption to you and me. Paul considers, listen, it's like the ocean. And you and I walk up to the ocean down there at, at, at Emerald Isle or at the beach, Emerald Beach, and we take a little thimble and we, we, we go out into the ocean and we, we dip it in there and we think, we got him figured out. And yet all of God is so much more. We live like that at times. We forget just how big he is. We limit him. We, we, we entertain thoughts that, that God is small. Maybe it's so we think we can control him, or at least control what's going on in our life. But Paul is saying, oh, the depths. He means there's hidden dimensions of God, of his riches, of his wisdom, of his knowledge. You and I have not even reached yet. We can't go there yet. In fact, we cannot plumb the full depths of it. There will always be depths to our God that we will not know because he's infinite. And we're finite. I like to think, you know, when we get to heaven one day, we'll have an eternity before us to try to plumb some of those depths. And even then, we'll only have a couple more thimbles full when you stop and you consider. You see, there is something down there worth experiencing. There's something within him worth knowing. There's something that you and I desperately need to know. If you and I think we can figure him out, we're delusional. If you and I think that we can understand fully all these things, then we have comprehended a mystery, and the word mystery might as well be thrown away. We can't. He's infinite. Now look at what he says. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Now in the Greek, there's different ways interpreters look at this. Some say it's just the, the riches of his wisdom and knowledge, just one thing. The wisdom, the knowledge of God, oh, it's so rich. It's so deep. Others see it as parallelism, part of what, because of what follows in verses 34 and 35, that actually Paul is emphasizing the depth of the riches that we've experienced in God and also the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God. Actually, I think that's a better interpretation, not only within the context, but also within the context of Paul's letters that he writes when he emphasizes these, these things. What he's saying is, God has something of infinite value to experience, something of great value, something very rich. And what is that? Redemption. Stop and think about this. Over in chapter 2, in verse 4, Paul says, There are riches that God has for you and for me, that he is extending to you and to me for a reason. They're the riches of his goodness, the riches of his forbearance, the riches of his long-suffering. And why does God extend his goodness to anyone when we don't deserve it? Why does God extend his forbearance? In other words, why is he holding back that hand of judgment? Why, why doesn't he just crush us as sinners? Why does he hold that? Why is he long-suffering? Why is God so patient? Why is he so rich in this way towards us? It's so that we might repent. That's what the text says. We might turn to him from self, from sin, and we might turn to him and come to know him as he truly is, not as we have thought him to be. Because we are guilty, as it says in Romans chapter 1. We, we, we often worship the created things rather than the creator. And we're guilty of that. 
And Paul says, no, think and consider the riches of his goodness, the riches of his forbearance, the riches of his long-suffering to lead us to repentance and ultimately to redemption. Over in chapter 9, in verse 23, it talks about how God lavishes and demonstrates the riches of his glory upon those vessels of mercy. Those who have been mercied by him. Yes, we've experienced his goodness, his grace, but also we've been mercied by him. We've not gotten what we deserve. Praise the Lord. Amen. And yet God shows us the riches of his glory and that he is merciful to us and redeems us. And then you get over to chapter 10, verse 12, and you tie these ideas together and you realize that God has riches that are bestowed on those who call on him. What's fascinating when you see the abridged version of Romans called the book of Ephesians, what's fascinating over there when Paul writes in Ephesians in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, he speaks in chapter 1 of God's riches of his grace. Chapter 1, verse 7 of Ephesians, if you're taking notes. And also in chapter 2, he speaks of the riches of his mercy, how God is so rich in, in his mercy towards us. When you stop and think the depths of the riches of God's grace and mercy, whoo! Can you really figure it out? Y'all, we've only tasted a little bit of it here. We have an eternity before us. And you know what the the hymn writer said, right? When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll, we'll have no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. You and I haven't even fathomed how Wealthy, how valuable, all the the riches of his mercy, his grace, his redemption that we've experienced. What an amazing God that he would redeem a sinner like me and lavish his riches, the wealth of his salvation upon us. Make us his children, heirs, joint heirs with Christ. You and I can't even fathom what that looks like yet. But man, it's good right now, ain't it? It is for me. Excuse me, isn't it? It's awesome. And yet, I'll take the little bit I got right now, Lord. And oh, I'll celebrate it. But there's so much more. And it's not just what we've experienced. It's the wisdom and the knowledge by which it came to us. Oh, who would have thought this plan? Who would have thought that the the creator would have died for the created one? The one who who made us in his image. That he would have a plan even before the foundation of the world. That that he would make a, a... a creature in his image and have a relationship with him that he would fill that image to redeem it. And that that one then would be made in the image of his son and would radiate and reflect his glory all for eternity. Who who thought of this? Who conceived of this? This is the wisdom of God. God's ability, infinite, to know the most sensible way to do things. The best way to bring that about. The knowledge that he had, an infinite knowledge when you stop and think about it, that God could give all this myriad of people, billions of people, the opportunity to make free choices and and to choose. And a God who would know not just the choices that would be made, all the possibilities that could have been made, all the possible decisions that could have been made, and the motives of the hearts behind all of those decisions, and anything that would affect those decisions. And God knows all of that and still accomplished his sovereign will. Try to figure that one out for me. Don't give me some theological system that has God figured out. I'm sorry. He's so much more than that. But what he has revealed about himself, I'll take that to the bank every day. 
And I'll celebrate him and I'll praise him and I'll magnify him because there's no God like him. And it's only when we stop and we reflect on his wisdom, the plan of salvation to bring it to us and the vast value of it, uh, the infinite value of that redemption that we have experienced. When, when, when Paul is writing here, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out, exclamation point. He's reflecting what Isaiah would say over in Isaiah chapter 55. Over in Isaiah 55, it's there that Isaiah says, listen, his ways and his thoughts are so much higher. They're so much higher than our ways. His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts. What you and I think about doing, what God thinks about doing is so far beyond us, we can't even figure it out. The way God does it, his actions, what he actually does, his ways are so much higher than what you and I would think about bringing redemption to mankind. Not only in bringing Jesus to this world, but listen, then the Spirit of God bringing Christ to the hearts of individuals and how God would work in circumstances and situations that you and I never would have conceived of. You know why? Because his ways are so much higher. His thoughts are so much higher. They're unsearchable. They're incomprehensible. They are beyond us. It's unfathomable what God does. It's past finding out. And yet what is there to be found out is really good. It's worth worshiping him. It's worth praising him. It's worth celebrating him. It's worth singing about. Y'all, we have something to celebrate about our God. Who he is and what he has done bringing us redemption. And we should do that not just on Sunday morning, but every day of our life. God has done something amazing Something incomprehensible, something that is beyond us, something that is infinite. And yet what is finite in my mind to understand what is known, then I should worship and I should praise him. Now, Here's the amazing thing. Job over in Job chapter 11, he had some things going on in his life, right? Job didn't understand what was going on. Sometimes you ever feel like Job? Lord, why is this happening? What are you trying to accomplish? And yet Job didn't sin. He, he called on God, even though his bride blessed his soul. Amen. Curse God and die, Job. Well, can I accept good and not bad from the Lord? I came with nothing. I'll leave with nothing. But I can leave with him. Amen. His friends come and, Job, we know what you need to do. You need to get right with God. You need to repent. Oh, what blessed friends he had. Amen. Job is there, and he's wrestling with what's happening in his life. God's ways that are so much higher, God's thoughts that are so much higher, God has to bring Job to that point where ultimately he just puts his hand on his mouth. He says, you're God and I'm not. But before he gets there in chapter 11, hey, there's the question that's asked, can you search out the deep things of God? Can, can you find out the limits of the Almighty? They are higher than heaven. What can you do? Deeper than Sheol. What can you know? Their measure is longer than the earth and broader than the sea. Job had to come to grips with his limitations, his limited understanding of what was happening around him. But there was a God who knew far more and was in control of everything that was happening. Can I be honest? It's healthy for you and I to know we have boundaries and to realize our limitations and acknowledge we can't handle everything nor do everything, but God can. 
And he wants us all to come to that point. Part of realizing God is wholly other, his aseity, is he's of a, he is a being not like us. We are created beings. He is uncreated. He is sufficient in and of himself. We aren't. We need him. That's essential. That's fundamental. But now when we look at him and realize who he is, we must realize he is infinite. You cannot put a boundary on him. You cannot limit him in any way. And if you try to figure him out, you'll get a thimble full of an ocean. And that, beloved, if you really experience it, it's pretty amazing. If you really understand it. And you really take it in to your heart. But what he wants from you and from me is to humbly yield to him. To surrender to him. To acknowledge. You know, if you go over to Psalm 145. If you got one of the listening sheets, there's some passages in there to uh, text to consider about the infinity of God. But over in Psalm 145, what's amazing there is it's a song. And David is giving a reason, listen, 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 for the next generation to stop and consider that there is an infinite God, a great big God. And he is worthy of our worship and worthy of our praise and worthy to consider everything that he's made. And he is giving that vision to another generation. And you and I should be doing the same thing. Your life and my life should demand a supernatural explanation because we've experienced the supernatural. Your life and my life should be a testimony that our God is infinite. He is not limited. He is the God with endless possibilities. Is there anything impossible for our God to do? Do I act like that? Do I live like that by faith? Do I choose to believe that? Listen, I'm limited. I don't know all things, but he knows all things. I don't know all things, but he does. Can anyone limit him? They may limit me, but they can't limit him. That's what I love about Paul. <laughs> Preaching the word, going everywhere, and he gets to prison, and they think, we got him. We got, that, we got that rabble rouser. He's in jail. Oh, the word of God is not in prison. <laughs> no, not our God. The testimony will go on. He'll not be without a witness. By the way, is there a giant too big that can't be defeated? All it takes is faith. When David entered down in, into that valley with that giant, he wasn't trusting in his own abilities. He was finite, limited. I mean, even the, 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 the armor of Saul was not good enough for him, right? Couldn't fit him. But no, he went down into a valley with an almighty, infinite God. And with great faith in the, what that God could do. And I believe God's looking for people like that today. Who will believe that, live like that, and realize our God is great. There is none like him. You cannot, listen, you cannot raise the roof in this building to make space for him. Because he is infinite. And because of that, he's beyond us knowing everything about him. You see... As we go through the attributes of God, we're going to go places as we study who he is and what he's like. That God's greatness will be evident and will be manifested. But even then, it will not be sufficiently declared even in our study. Even in what we know. We'll have an infinity of years and days. Even You don't even count days there. Because there's no sun, there's no moon. But even there, when we get to the other side. Wow, I wonder what we'll see. I wonder what we'll know. Now listen, this doesn't mean we're going to know everything, but we're going to know enough, amen, when we get there. You see, in my life and your life, we've got to choose not to limit God by our faith that the way we live 
We, we don't put God in a box and say, I got you figured out. No, no, no. We, 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 we need to see God as he is and then look at ourselves, not look at ourselves and then consider God. Don't bring him down to your level. You can't. I can't. And I should not treat him like he is small. I should live like he is big, really big, like infinite. And my life should demonstrate that day after day. I should choose to believe that he is a God with infinite possibilities, with infinite perfections, with infinite potential. I should choose to believe that my God can hear my prayers and can work and extend to me his goodness, his mercy, his grace. Not just to me, but people all around me. And I should give them a reason to believe. We become like the object we worship. Limit him. Your life will be limited. But exalt him and magnify him. And the possibilities are endless with God. Amen. We should live like that. In fact, there has to be a point in your life and my life where we come to the conclusion, I can't do it all. Particularly, I can't save myself. I don't have the power within me. God does. I, 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 don't, I don't have it. That's why his son, listen, stepped into time and space that he created took on this flesh, lived the perfect life you and I couldn't live, died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sins so that whosoever will repent of their sins and say, God, have mercy on me. I'm a wretched sinner. Save me. I believe Jesus died in my place as the substitute for my salvation. And I want to put my faith in that sacrifice. And I want to ask Jesus to, to come into my life and be my Savior and my Lord. I surrender to Him. I yield to Him. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, acknowledging that, can be saved. And if you've never done that, then you need to do that today. You need to recognize, I'm limited, he's not. In fact, it may be today that you've done that as a believer, but you've been entertaining thoughts that really aren't worthy of God. Not considering that, you know what, God, nothing's impossible with you. You're infinite. And maybe we stopped praying, we threw in the towel on some circumstance, some situation, and we choose to believe we won't even ask him to do anything. And when we do that, we're acting like God is small. Man, oh, how would this change my prayer life, right? If I really believe, he's infinite. He's not limited in any way. No, no, listen, no one is beyond his reach. Do we believe that? Do we pray like that earnestly? Do we give like that? God, you own it all. It's all yours. I'm limited in what I have, but what I do have, you tell me to steward it well and to rejoice in giving and, and celebrate it. But, but do I live like that? I mean, some of us probably need to get on the altar and just say, God, forgive me. I, I, I think I, I, I thought you were about this big. He's infinite. Do I live like that? Maybe we just need to pray for God to give us bold faith, right? So that I'm singing to the next generation. I'm celebrating to the next generation. There's nothing my God cannot do. You know, at VBS, I, I make it required every year at VBS for the kids to sing this song. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. I want to instill that kind of faith in the hearts and minds of children. Just how awesome God is. And he's infinite. 